Somebody told me uh, yesterday, they said, hey, no matter what you preach, it's going to be second best to baptisms. I said, praise the Lord. Isn't that the truth? Nothing like baptisms. Thank you, Lord. All right, open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. All right, Genesis chapter 2, we are continuing our series, Build the Home. So if you have not been with us, if you're just here for baptisms, welcome. We're so glad you're here in church this morning. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, you're here for a message you probably didn't sign up for. Let's be honest. We've been talking about the layers of the home. We've talked about God's vision for the home. We've covered men. We've covered women. Last week, we talked about marriage. So the next logical thing to talk about is sex. So welcome to church. That's what we're talking about today. All right, we're going to read Genesis 2. If you have a child in here and you're like, that's not cool for right now, then any of kids will take them right now. So that's great. Go ahead and stand for the reading of the word of God. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 23 through 25. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Lord, we thank you this morning for baptisms again. Thank you for worship and the opportunity to sing your holy name. Thank you for the opportunity to be together in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word that is living and active. And we humble ourselves before you as we approach your word this morning. We submit ourselves to you and we ask that you would come and teach us and train us and equip us, rebuke us, encourage, exhort us, Lord, unto every good work that we might be perfect unto you. Let your righteousness fill us by the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of Jesus Christ. I pray that we would have power to stand firm on the rock of the word of God. Lord, we pray that we would not be a people shaken by the wind and the ways of this world, but we would stand strong on the eternal word of God. We love you and we're thankful. We're thankful for you this morning, Lord Jesus. Equip us with all the armor of God and the sword of the spirit that is the word of God that we might take down everything that would stand against you and to stand against us as your people and stand against those coming to know you. We love you. We worship you. We honor you. We're glad to be in church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, so where do you start preaching about sex? Where does one begin? There is, uh, there's so much to say. There is so much that is said. <laughs> there are so many opinions. There's so many experiences. There's so much brokenness. Where do you start? Where do you start? Where do you start talking about sex? Not to mention the fact that talking about sex, especially in church, makes people feel pretty awkward. So, uh, you know, all of those things could be seen as good reasons to not talk about this in church, but I think they're all good reasons to talk about it in church. But the strongest reason to talk about sex in church and to talk about it this morning is that God talks about sex a lot in the Bible. Like, it's pretty much there cover to cover. You're not going to go too far reading the Bible without running into something, something about sex. Very, not very often is it like the right kind. (laughs) It's actually a lot of the wrong, but it helps us learn. 
So we're going to talk about it because God talks about it all throughout the Bible. And uh, it's a pretty, if you haven't noticed, it's kind of a pretty integral part of humanity. It's sort of important for us in our existence. And uh, it's important in creation. It's an important part of our lives. And the Bible has a lot to teach us, praise the Lord. The Bible has a lot to teach us. And, and the summary of what the Bible teaches us is that when you get sex right, it's an incredible gift and blessing, and it is right worship unto God. When you get sex wrong, it destroys individuals, families, and cultures, and societies, and it's a grave sin against God. There's the cliff notes. Now we'll get into it. So how are we going to do this this morning? That's the why. How are we going to go about this? I'm just bringing you into my internal world as I've been preparing for this. These are the questions I ask. How are we going to go about this? Well, I believe that I am accountable to God to teach you the word of God not accountable to understand the world or all that sort of stuff or even know any of all of our backgrounds or opinions or emotions or thoughts on all this sort of thing. So the best way to talk about this isn't by trying to talk about all the perversions about it, but the best place to start is by talking about the pure design. The best way to spot a counterfeit of anything is to be intimately familiar with the authentic one. Work smarter, not harder. So this morning, I just, I'm not aiming to be nuanced in how I tell you how to live your life. I'm aiming to be crystal clear on what the Word of God says so that you can decide for yourself how you want to live your life. That's my mission. So we're going to do this pretty systematically. It's not going to be very entertaining or like some moving speech because... Yeah, but hopefully it's going to be clear. That's what we're going for. Can I just be honest? Sometimes I, I like, I've put that pressure on myself, and maybe it comes from any of you, but not most of you, but just like, ah, oh. so I teach this class in a school in town. It's like a spiritual development class, and this like ninth grade girl, she's amazing. She's so sweet, super hungry. She bursts into class the other week before it starts, slams her books down on the desk and goes, I'm ready to be moved. What do you have for me today? <laughs> So I laughed because that's hilarious. But I was like, man, I'm just going to teach the Bible. And we'll, we'll go with that. I got nothing for you. So that's where I'm at this morning. What we're going to do is we're going to go through this, like I said, fairly systematically. We're going to start with the, what does the Bible teach? What does the Bible teach about? We're going to go through these things, these questions. What does the Bible teach about where does sex come from? Who is sex for? What is sex for, and is sex just physical? Then we're going to briefly discuss how to apply what the Bible teaches us in those questions to a few of the popular and pernicious sexual perversions in our culture to help you begin to rightfully think about those things as you engage them personally or culturally. The perversions that we're going to briefly touch on are going to be pornography and masturbation, premarital sex, and homosexuality. Lastly, we'll close with a few thoughts on where we go from here, considering the fact, considering what we've learned from the Bible and how that relates to the world that we're living in. We are going to be continuing our honest conversations with my pastor podcast. Uh, so if you have questions that you would like to hear discussed more in that type of a setting, the 
card, there's cards in the seat in front of you, and you can write those down and turn them in as you leave church, and that's going to help Brooke and I have accurate and helpful conversations um, in this universe of possibility of things to talk about. So we'd love for you to throw those our way. Let's get into it. So what does the Bible teach? What does the Bible teach? Where does sex come from? It comes from God. That's a good place to start. Sex comes from God at creation. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, so God's the creator. Are you the creator? Are humans the creator? Is God the creator? A+. plus. Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. Genesis 1, 26 through 28, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over all the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. Genesis 2, 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Mark 10, 7 through 8. Jesus quotes this verse. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. God is not scared to talk about sex, and he isn't ignorant about it, because he's the one who gave it to us. The, and this building block that we're talking about fits perfectly on the foundation that we've already laid over the previous weeks together. Life isn't a human construct. It's from God. Humans can't give it as they please, and it's not up to humans to take it as they please. Gender isn't a human construct. It's from God. Humans didn't create it, and it's not for humans to alter it. Marriage isn't a human construct. It is from God. Humans didn't create it, and it's not for humans to manipulate it. Family isn't a human construct. It's from God. Humans didn't invent it, and it's not up to humans to define it. Sex isn't a human construct. It's from God. Humans didn't discover it, and it's not up to humans to decide how to use it. This is what we believe. This is what we confess. But is it what we are willing to live? Are we really willing to be enveloped in this reality? Bow to this reality. Submit to this reality. Creator God. Are we willing to let our sinful self die to Christ that we might be raised into his new life? Are we willing to surrender our opinions at the cross and learn to think, live, and act how God says imagers of him should think, live, and act? The question about these unique times and this crazy culture, and these problems we are facing, 
the sexual desires and perversions in our world. The question is not if God is speaking and leading and revealing himself and teaching us and encouraging us and rebuking us and saving us and training us. The question is, do you have ears to hear? Do you have eyes to see? What does the Bible teach us about who is sex for? Who is sex for? Genesis 1, 27, and 28. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Genesis 2, 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Mark 10, 7 and 8. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What does the Bible teach us about who sex is for? Sex is for one man and one woman in marriage. That's who it's for. Now, in order to pursue my aim to be crystal clear about this ideal that we are aiming for, I'm going to review some of our definitions that we've already covered so that we all understand exactly what I just said. Sex is for one man and one woman in marriage. What is a man? We have God created them male, a human with XY chromosomes and male sex and reproductive organs, one of the two human genders that God created and that exists today. The other is female. A man is a human biological male created by God to image him by having the identity of a man and the assignment of imaging God as a male. What is a woman? God created them male and female. A human with XX chromosomes and female sex and reproductive organs, one of the two human genders that God created and that exists today, the other is male. A woman is a human biological female created by God to image him by having the identity of a woman and the assignment of imaging God as a female. What is marriage? Marriage is one man and one woman in lifelong covenant with each other. It is the first bond of the family. It is a one flesh bond consummated by sex. And it is a mystery that reflects Christ and the church. So who is sex for? Sex is for one man and one woman in marriage. That's what the Bible teaches us. What does the Bible teach us about what sex is for? What is sex for? Well, remembering the verses that we've already read a couple of times, instead of reading them all again, let's add on to those verses. Hebrews 13, verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. What is sex for? The Bible teaches us that sex is designed for three things. Consummating the marriage covenant of the two becoming one flesh. 
continual affirmation and strengthening of that marriage covenant and being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth with imagers of God who will partner with him in spreading his kingdom. In other words, making babies. Anything outside of these purposes and boundaries is a perversion. What does the Bible teach us regarding the question, is sex just physical? Is it just a physical thing? No, it's not. Sex is relational. It's not just physical. The Bible teaches us that the two become one flesh. And that's... They don't just physically become one, flex, one flesh in the act of sex, but there's all kinds of psychology and neurology to back all of this up on all the other systems you've got going on in your body. And I'm not any of those experts, but they're all over YouTube and the internet and studies and all kinds of stuff. And I'd really encourage you to check that stuff out if and when you have time. It's not just a physical act. It's, it's a whole person union. Okay, so the Bible teaches us and, and science backs up that sex isn't just, it's, it's not just personal orgasm. It's whole person relational union. And anybody who has had sex knows that that's true. And if you are trying to get away from it, you know you're trying to get away from it because it's there and you have to suppress it. So sex is relational. Sex is reproductive. Another way to say that sex is reproductive is that it's creative. Only God can give life. And the way that God creates a new human life is through sex. Sit back and think about that for a second. Two humans who can't create life come together and make a third. It's insane. And the Bible teaches us that children are good. Children are good. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a blessing. They're not monsters. They're not problems. They're not burdens. They're not the biggest problem in climate change. I read that yesterday. Somebody, can I just talk about this for a second? He was, is this famous guy talking about how he, he like, I forget what the word is, but like he's all about climate change stuff. But he's like, but I'm just going to be honest. Like, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I still fly private. He goes, but I've done my part. I haven't had any kids. And that's the biggest contributor to climate change. I was like, you just said that out loud. Like, okay, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that children are good. They're a gift from the Lord. They're a blessing. And they are supposed to be the result of sex in marriage. It is in this context that God is imaged in the household. One person plus one person equals three people. 
who are one family. The three become one. Sex is relational, it is reproductive, and sex is spiritual. Obedience to God honors him and shows him that you love him. Parents, that's the big idea in eight kids this morning, so you'll blow your kid away if you just go ahead and say that. Whoa, Dad, you know everything. The Bible clearly and often lists sexual immorality as a grave sin against God. And very often, not only is sexual immorality an image of spiritual adultery, sexual immorality often is part of the practice of idolatry. Romans 1, 24 through 27 says, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural, natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. Colossians 3 verse 5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. It's not like idolatry. It is idolatry. God knows sex isn't just physical. It's relational, it's reproductive, and it's spiritual, and it is that way because he made it that way. So what? So what? What are, how do we apply this to some of the things that we're dealing with in our world or in your own life today? So pornography and masturbation, normal, encouraged in our world, what's wrong with these things? How do we apply what we've just talked about to learn how to think about the things that we're engaging in our lives? Why is it that pornography and masturbation are perversions against the design of God? To stick with the outline that we're talking about this morning, number one, it rejects relationship. Because this isn't just physical. It rejects relationship. That's obvious. I don't really need to explain that. It ignores the reproductive purpose of sex. It ignores and rejects the creative purpose of it. Instead of fostering marriage and family, it isolates individuals. And it opposes the spiritual nature of sex. Instead of a man ordering and a woman nurturing chastity, a man is a fool without self-control, and a woman raises the voice of folly in the streets to bring her guests down to Sheol with her. Premarital sex. What's wrong with that? Why is that such a problem? First of all, you are not a commodity to be test-driven. And a healthy marriage is way more than effortless sexual chemistry and compatibility. 
So let's move on from that. I mean, it's, it's so cheap. And you're better. You're worth more than that. So there's that. But sticking with our outline for this morning. What, what's, what's wrong with it? Why, why is this so against God's design if you're just going to get married anyways? You know, what, what's the problem here? First of all, it compromises God's design for relationship. Because it's not just physical. It compromises God's design for relationship. A man has a responsibility to order his sexuality under God. And he has a responsibility to love his wife in faithfulness as Christ loves the church. This isn't that complicated. God doesn't want you to have sex with someone who isn't your wife. You can at least take that away, right? Note to self. God doesn't want you to have sex with somebody who isn't your wife. So if you're not married to her, she's not your wife. She might become your wife. You might be on your way to having her as your wife, but she's not. If she's not your wife today, especially if you're not engaged, there's a decent chance that she could actually be somebody else's wife. And God doesn't want you having sex with someone else's wife. A woman has responsibility before God to honor, with, honor him with her body and to devote her body to her husband in marital sex. This isn't complicated. God doesn't want you having sex with a man who's not your husband. Can we take that away? God doesn't want you having sex with a man who's not your husband. So if you're not his wife, you don't owe him sex. And he doesn't deserve it from you. If you're not married to him, not only is he not your husband right now, there's a chance he could be somebody else's husband someday. So premarital sex compromises God's design for relationship. The other reason that it goes against God's design is that unmarried couples are not ready for the reproductive aspect of sex. Men, a father is responsible to give his children an ordered home. You owe your children a godly home. You owe it to them. You owe your children a godly home. What that means is that you owe your children a godly home where you are ordered under God personally first. Then where you are faithful and committed to your wife, who is supposed to be the mother of your children. Where you are providing order for your wife, who is your children's mother, to be their mother. And where you are providing order for your children to live with their mother and their father. You owe that to them. Women, a mother is responsible to give her children a nurturing home. You should nurture your marriage as it is an image of Christ and the church. You should nurture your husband as you submit to him as unto the Lord. And you should nurture your children as gifts and blessings from God. 
if you're not married, you're not ready or able to do that. You owe it to your children to welcome them into a godly married home. It's, what's God, it's what God has designed for you. It's what God has designed for them. And it's what God has given to the world as an image of himself. One final note on this. 86% of abortions involve unmarried men and women. A 2021 New York Times study said that cohabitating but unmarried people are overrepresented in abortion numbers based on their share of the population. <laughs> cohabitating but unmarried people accounted for 31% of all abortions. So, just to be clear, no, cohabitating is not a good test drive for marriage. It's not a good exploration to see if the two of you are ready to have a family together. You can say that all day long, but that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Lastly, premarital sex dishonors the spiritual design of sex. Sex is amazing and powerful. It is a special and valuable gift from God in the context of marriage. And when it is engaged in any way outside of marriage, it is a sin against God and a rejection of his design for life and his design for your life. Marriage is to be the most stable union that we have. It's supposed to be the most stable union in humanity, and it's supposed to be a union that the rest of society can be built on. And when we compromise marriage by commoditizing sex, the whole of society pays the price. Okay, lastly, homosexuality. We're going to be really short on this because we did a whole podcast on this in the fall that you're welcome to go check out on our YouTube channel or podcast channel. But... Homosexuality perverts the design of God because it is an unholy relationship. It doesn't matter if you love each other and are committed. It's unholy because it's not designated and set apart for God. And Romans 1 explained that to us. Two, it rejects reproduction, obviously, and therefore it is a rejection of the family as God's design. And it is spiritually idolatrous. Again, sexual immorality is sin against God, and it either is idolatry or closely linked to idolatry. And our questions about homosexuality should not start at, well, why can't the church just accept this? Why can't God just accept people this way? The, the questions have to start with, why can't we accept God in God's ways? The problem is not that God is mean and won't accept people. The problem is that us people are sinful and we won't accept God. So where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Just like masculinity and femininity aren't personality types or social constructs, they are assignments that we each need to commit ourselves to. And just like husband and wife aren't personal preferences or social constructs, they are roles that we sign up for when we get married, you need to know the design of God for sex and commit yourself to it. That's the first step. Regardless of your past, 
your present, your preferences, or your desires. Where you start is to know the design of God and commit yourself to grow in his direction under his instruction. Where you have missed it, repent. Repent. Turn around and be cleansed from your sin. Where you are missing it, repent. Turn around and be cleansed of your sin. Where you can't undo something, commit yourself and your direction to God and he will make something good out of the brokenness that the enemy intended for evil. And don't do it alone. It's the last thing you need to do is try to do this alone. Do it with the church. Submit to the leadership of God through his word. Submit to the leadership of God from your spiritual authority over you. Submit to the church and the people that you are following God with. James 5.16 tells us, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I would like some of that. I've been given a lot of that. Anybody else? Has anybody else been forgiven of sexual sin in the room this morning? Go ahead, raise your hand if you've been forgiven of sexual sin in your life. Raise your hand high. We're celebrating the grace of God. We can celebrate this like we celebrate. Keep your hand up, keep your hand up, keep your hand up. Everybody look around. No, you're not alone. No, you're not the weird one. No, you're not the broken one. No, you're not the one that God's totally caught off guard by. And you've got the thing that he's never heard of before. No, it's not that. No, 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 no. And we are not unified in our reception of forgiveness for sexual sin. We are unified in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the point. The point of your life, the point of this message is not to call you to stop sinning. I'm not saying shout at the world and tell them to stop sinning. Our ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. God making his appeal through us. Yeah, sure, stop sinning, but be reconciled unto God. That's what we're going for. There's a kingdom to come. There's a will to participate in. There is a God to image, mind, body, and soul, personally, in every relationship in your life, in your marriage, in your singleness, in your family, in your divorce, in your parenting, in your mistakes, in the abuse that's going against you. God is good. And this is worth it. What I want you to hear this morning, where do we go from here? We do this. That's where we go. We can do this. We can do this. We can repent. We can pray. We can pray for one another. We can say yes. We can call on the mercy of God when we're tempted. We can call on the mercy of God when we make mistakes. We can call each other up into the righteousness of Christ. And we can be the home of God. We can be the family of God. We can have families that are the image of God so that the families of the earth can be blessed. We can do this. That's where we go from here. We do this.
We image God to the nations. Not just as you personally and us uniquely and your... No, our homes, our lives, our entire selves, everything about us, we image God. We build the home that all the nations of the earth might be blessed. We believe. That's what we do. We live holy. We live pure. We, that's, that's where we go from here. What if we did? What if you did? What if you believed this? What if you confessed this? What if you bowed to this? What if you gave as much energy to this truth as you have to questioning if it is true? Give it as much effort. Give it as much time as you gave the doubts and see what God does. See what God does. Set yourself. And let's do this together. Stand up, please. Let's close our time together. Our prayer team is going to come up and be available. If you need prayer for anything in your life, it's a great place and a great time to get it. In this moment as we worship, let's consecrate ourselves together to the word of the Lord. Last week, I led you in an exercise of taking some quiet time to say, God, what do you want me to know? And then respond with, okay, God, I will do this in response to that. Take time to do that this week. Take time to do that today. Present yourself to God as a living sacrifice. And let's do this together. Jesus, we love you. And I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that by your precious word, you would pour out in your grace and mercy a baptism of conviction inside of us, that we would be convicted of all sin in our lives so that by your kindness, we could be brought into repentance and turn from death to life. I pray, oh God, that you would convict us of righteousness, that we would all walk out of here convinced of the truth of the word of God, convinced that righteousness is real, convinced that righteousness is possible, convinced that righteousness is for me, convinced that righteousness is for my family. And I pray, oh God, that you would pour out a baptism of a Holy Spirit, of a conviction of judgment. Oh God, that, that, that judgment is real, Lord. We will be judged for our sin, but conversely, we can be judged according to your righteousness. We have the opportunity to live a holy life with you and by you and through you and unto you and for you and with you, oh God. Connect us to the vine, Lord Jesus. Fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us be the light of the world. Let us be an offering unto you. And let us be your home. Let us have homes where you dwell with us. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen.